Hello and welcome to the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in Toronto. And Candy here in Toronto too. In Hi. fact, she's right beside me. <laughs> Yay! Yay! So we've been drinking wine, yeah, so we have uh, anything can happen. Anything can happen. I feel like I'm a little out of control here. But we're drinking wine, Spodiote. Yep, I drinking hopped wine. in the car because we thought we need one more live together podcast. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing really, really well, and it's great to see you. It's great to see welcome you. Back. Welcome back. Welcome home. To be back. I know. Welcome home. Um, I wrote a note and I said, "Remind me to tell you about blue sponges." Oh yeah, I was so supposed to remind you. I've had you. a very yeah. busy couple of weeks, as some people would know on our social media. I posted that I went to Wisconsin, and I said so last week, and I was painting it. A shed, and then Stig's always like, "Stop overbooking! Stop overbooking! You're doing too much." And inevitably, weird things happen. So I around the house a couple days ago, and I said, "Stig, where'd you put the blue sponges?" And I'm a little irate because I want to scrub the dishes, and the one we have is moldy. You know those. Oh, I hate that when I your sponge that. is disgusting. Oh, you don't worst. have a backup sponge. It's the worst. Yeah. And he goes, "I don't know what blue sponges you're talking of about." Of course, that's and the so, uh, that's the official guy yes. response. <laughs> So huh? I, I pulled what, apart out of the sink and I went, that's weird. I, maybe I dropped them. I must have lost them. Of course. Then yesterday, I'm in the kitchen and I'm going to do a bunch of cooking. And I'm setting up steak. I do this every week. I do all kinds of cooking and leave them all different meals. And I'm like, I have three pounds of butter somewhere. Where the hell did he put them? So I go through the fridge. I go through the freezer. And I'm like, oh, please, sweet baby Jesus, don't let me have left them in the car in the heat wave. So I go to the car. They're not in the car. And I go, all right, you have to deduce this. Maybe you didn't buy them. And I went, oh, I think I left them. When you pack up your groceries and you you pack them and then someone helps you pack them and you put them in the cart, I packed those things and I put them on, you know, the hanging bags that are on the shelf where the cashier's working? Yes. I felt like, I think I maybe I left it there. Oh, did you go back? I did go back. Were they there? Oh, so I went, no, this was... T- a week later. Well, a week later. Oh, there's no chance. <laughs> no chance. But I thought, you know what? Dan? An hour later, you've got a chance. Yeah. If you go to the same cashier who will say, yes, I you know. paid for these. I and know. It's three pounds of butter. That's $15. Oh, man. It's $15 at Jewel Grocery Store in I Chicago. I hate when that happens. So I still was like, you know what? I'm going to go back. And I'm going to see if they have a lost and found. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I'm, by the time I, I didn't tell Stag any of this, he doesn't so even know So you're going to go back and lost yeah. and found and hope you could find a yeah, of butter that hasn't been refrigerated. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So, and I haven't told Stag this story. He's going to hear this This is why we this. love you. <laughs> it's also why filmmakers have assistants. Because when you're editing or filming a film, and I know it sounds like they're decadent assholes, but when you're on a set or you're filming, you have short-term memory loss. You only are thinking about the film. So when I went, oh, I get it. So you've been you've been working on this film of yours for about a decade, and so (laughs) this is your reason for forgetting shit. No, I do. I I don't always. I'm not this scattered. I'm not this scattered. This is pretty bad because I went to Wisconsin to edit. I didn't tell you something else. I forgot the footage. So, so you drove across the cheese curtain yes, without the goods. Yes, and so then Trish and I just proceeded to get drunk and drive around in a golf cart uh, <laughs> all over her parents' property. And okay? so you couldn't edit anything because you didn't nope, bring the footage? Nope, nope. So the next so morning... So that, that whole... She, no, she went to work. I woke up and I painted, started painting because I wanted to get... I woke up. She went well, to work around Well, you don't want to waste the trip, right? No, no, none of that. Nothing like that. Okay. I woke up. She went to work around five. I Good. got up at six and I painted the... As much as I could until the heat wave came in at 11, 30, 12. Right. Then I got in the car and I drove back to Chicago. Oh. I got the footage. 
And I got, I thought, I'll get groceries. So that's the day. That's why I knew it was a Wednesday. And I was like, God damn it. I mean, when I had to turn around after we recorded the podcast, I hung up from you and started editing the film in the, uh, not the film, the podcast during the middle of the podcast editing. I turned to Trish and I went, you're never going to believe this. I forgot the footage. She looked at me like I was like, she just felt like what happened to you? You know what I mean? Like you used to be cool. It happens, it happens I knew to the, filmmakers. I knew the bride when she used to rock and roll, you know, that's how she looked at me. And so anyway, I'm, it's Wednesday. I remembered it was Wednesday because I drove from Wisconsin to Chicago. And I thought, I'll get a few things for Stag, and then I'll take off with my footage. I didn't tell him I forgot the footage that day either. I was just too embarrassed. <laughs> so anyway, then I go. So I drive over to the grocery store yesterday, and I went up to the customer service. I said, you know, I have a weird question. It's kind of lost and found category. Did, did anybody turn in three pounds of butter and some blue sponges? And she said, well, what day was that? And I went, and she goes, just a second. And she goes down to a cupboard. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to pull the butter out of a cupboard. She pulls out a huge binder. A binder. A binder. And she goes, now, what day was it? I said, I, I'm completely positive it was Wednesday. And she looks up the date. She turns the pages, turning, turning, turning. That's hilarious. And she said, well, you bought more than just three pounds of butter. You left more than three pounds of butter in a sponge. You also left four radishes, a grapefruit, an apple, and some sour cream. <laughs> I love that they had a record of it. That's they the did. best. And she said, just go back in the store, get those items, and bring them back oh to me. Oh, my God. Is That's that the, the best. best? I, what, what gross, let's give a plug to this grocery store. Jewel Osco. Jewel Osco is the best. <laughs> a lot of people don't like Jewel Osco, but there was a huge binder. I took, when I came They've back. They've got a binder, Candy. I know, that's I know. so adorable. So when I got back, I said, can that, I take That's a- not going to happen in my no frills. <laughs> Believe me, there are well, no binders yeah, in the no frills. I think we take our podcast card and we tell them you need to listen to this episode and learn some skills. So I just said, can I please take a picture of the page on the binder with my list? So I'll put that on our social media. Because I could, beautiful. I couldn't believe it, but I love it when she said, well, you you left more than three pounds of butter oh. and a blue sponges. <laughs> and I love that. And, and she wasn't like freaked out. Not they, at all. They, like, oh, it's a week later. I wandered back in the store asking. Not at it. all. Nothing phased her at all. It was, And I said, so does this happen a lot? And she said, oh, yeah. And I said, well, you guys are amazing that you keep track of it. And that and they just told you to just replace go it. Go back. And I brought it back to her. And she knew what it was. I didn't even go through the cash. I just brought it back to the customer service. She looked at it and put it in a bag for me. And I went home. That's so beautiful. <laughs> but I, my faith in humanity has been restored. I felt, I, felt, I felt like my faith in humanity had been totally, totally restored. Wow. I felt so happy and so just like, oh, God. The, what I'm really glad, though, is that I went back to ask as well. I'm kind of just as glad as that I had the hope. I had a little glimmer of hope that maybe, maybe somebody turned it in. Wow. <laughs> or wrote, I never thought of a binder, but anyway, that was it. So that was my story about blue sponges. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. I know. It's really cute, huh? <laughs> so we had a great dinner tonight. Yes, we did. It was did. almost kind of a, 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 a diner. Uh, almost like home cooking. It was what's it called again? It we was, haven't done it, it for a comfort it was a food fish, diner. Yeah, comfort food diner. It was a fish yeah, curry. Don't even remember what our segment so, was called. So yeah. it had uh, tomatoes and peppers. Yeah. and kale from the garden, from the garden uh. and some herbs from the garden, and it had some monkfish and some cod. Yeah, and it's some curry, curry, <laughs> curry stuff, right. spices, and some rice. Yep. 
and uh, it was pretty it yummy. It was delicious. It was so good. After a long day's drive, it was fantastic. Loved it. Excellent. So we so, had a pretty exciting day yesterday also. Yes. First of all, we saw we both saw a documentary. Yeah. Uh, Candy saw it first. And, and I was and, compelled. And said, you got to see this. We got to talk about it on the podcast. So I, uh, I ended up renting it. Um, from Vimeo, uh, and this is no big deal. How much was it? I was like, uh, well, here's the thing. First, I first I rented it from Apple, and I couldn't oh. play it. Oh, jeez. And I had, I had, as soon as I realized I couldn't play it, I realized <laughs> it's the second time I've done that. <laughs> For some reason, if I rent from Apple, oh. my equipment, my oh. iMac won't play the Apple <laughs> stuff, and I had forgotten. Okay. And so I, so I pissed away ninety nine cents well, on that rental. I would and, phone them and see if they have a binder. <laughs> yeah, they probably do, but it's just not worth the all right. The the agony. Well, of, you're in a different snack bracket than me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, so that's you it. rented it from we, Vimeo. I rented it like a Vimeo. couple of bucks or something. Yeah, it's a couple of bucks, right, okay, and, and I watched it here at the computer. Yeah. Um, so it's called Sea uh, Gypsies, Far Side of the World, and it's from 2017, and the filmmaker is Nico Edwards. And I watched it in Tennessee with my friend Karen. She found it on Prime, and we watched it, and we couldn't stop thinking about it. I mean, we, we, we just were like, we were just lined up being compelled. So when I went to Wisconsin, I got Trisha to watch it. And Trisha's funny. She said partway through it, she's like, um why is everyone on this ship so good looking? I went, yeah, I know they're really hot. They woke up one morning. They said, should I go on a 120 foot sailboat to Antarctica or should I be a supermodel? And these guys chose to be on this boat. So, so what, what this film is about is a little adventure. Uh Adventure is a good way of describing it. I think because it's a bunch of young guys in search of adventure (laughs) and it could be polarizing. And the captain, the captain, um, somehow mysteriously <laughs> bought this old scow of a boat that's 120 feet long that's made of cement and it's not very seaworthy but because well, he put a lot of yeah. hard work in it and got parts somehow on the cheap <laughs> uh he managed to equip it to be ocean worthy yeah and it's quite beautiful looking i think and what this guy does is he goes out and has adventures yeah. in his boat. And he attracts adventure-minded, handsome young people, uh, <laughs> who some of whom, many of whom, work on on boats yep. the rest of the time. Yep. And in the off-season, they spend a few months on the Infinity. Yeah. And they go out and they, they have an adventure. Yeah, a couple of episodes ago, maybe, maybe six weeks ago, I said that one part that captivated me was that the captain talks about being a fairly independent person in his own world. And he realized he had to be cooperative to have this sailboat. He had to depend on other people. So it kind of changed him. I remember that in the yes. film. And I that touched me for some reason because, you know, we can all feel like... That's one thing I like about filmmaking, different than painting. I like being by myself painting, but I love that filmmaking is collaborative. Mm-hmm. So... The filmmaker, uh-huh. Nico, was wanted to have some kind of adventure yes. and wanted it to be on a boat yeah. and sought out a boat and found the Infinity yeah. and joined this crew. And that's it's a crew that they liken it to being a tribe. 
Yes. And it's a tribe of young, handsome... And, uh, and friends. There's probably a lot of other people. There's maybe, probably women that also work on it. But maybe, but not we don't, on we, this voyage. That's right. There's certainly, we learn that there have been women on the on the ship or the boat. Yeah, I mean, um, the captain's but, married. He's got a partner. Yes, and but, he's got kids. But for the particular adventure they're yeah. going on, it's, um, it's free of women. It's all testosterone all the time. Well, that's probably true. And also... Because women, we are not necessarily seeking that. We already have life and death in our lives. We give birth to children, and that's one of the most intense things that could happen to you. So we're not sure. running around to try and prove our femininehood. We we have to bleed at thirteen. You know that old saying: uh, if it what what could possibly bleed for seven days and not die? Well, women do that. <laughs> so we're already on the edge. We're on the far side of the world already. But guys have to go out and find this adventure, Fight Club. So this film documents this adventure that goes from New Zealand to Patagonia with a Mm. detour, a very dangerous detour, down into Antarctica as it's freezing. Yes. And they have a a boat that's (laughs) seaworthy, but... They bought some fuel from some guy and it seems to be tainted and um, some stuff isn't working and they're kind of good at fixing stuff and making it work. Um, But they warn you at the start of this film that until something goes wrong, it's not an adventure. Yeah, they quote the guy who started Patagonia, Yvonne Chopian or Shoyan. I'm going to fuck up his name. And he says something like, oh, I put it on my phone. I should read that, shouldn't I? Um, That would be smart. Let's see. I hope I saved it here. Okay. Yvonne, Sh- I cannot say his name. Shonard? Shrienard. Shrienard. And he's um, the person who created Patagonia clothing. He says, when everything goes wrong, that's when the adventure starts. And I, I think that's kind of true. It's and certainly it's, true for me. It's sort of the starting <laughs> point for, for their their adventure. Yeah. And really, it, I, I don't want to uh, discount it by... Um, uh, by by doing too much of a pre but right. uh, but basically there's there's two really big things that happen. Yeah. One is they get involved with becoming a decoy for um, a, another boat that is being followed by a Japanese harpoon boat that's out to harass the whaling ship, and the they, the captain has asked these guys to become decoys so that the Japanese harpoon boat thinks. I have this right, thinks that it's they are the the activists. Right, right, right. right. So but, they're a decoy to the activists who are trying to stop this corporate killing of whales. Why are we still killing whales in 2022? Yeah. I just don't understand. So that's that's yeah. one of the, the big adventures. Yeah. The other big adventure is their side <laughs> trip down into Antarctica as it's freezing. Yes, that's and true. And it's pretty beautiful. I mean, it's it's drop-dead gorgeous. And you see the filmmaker in his cabin a lot with seasickness. Yeah, I, uh, I really fell in love with a few of these guys. Um, they just are charming. They're outliers. And they might be insane that they went to such a dangerous place. And they, they were willing to, I would call it brave. Some people might call it um, high risk. <laughs> reckless. Reckless. You might call it reckless. You might call it reckless. But they went to Antarctica with a beat-up boat that's challenging um and many boats the other thing is if you've ever worked on any boats or lived on boats my mom lived on her boat there's always something broken down and you have to fix it it's just the nature of the water damage yes and they're doing this on a wing and a prayer they're not bringing a lot of a lot of dough into the a lot of coin right 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 right. so i felt it was a very compelling interesting story 
Um, and I would really recommend people to watch it. Oh, fascinating uh, adventure story. Yes. Beautifully filmed. Yes, it's it's absolutely stunning. And and we're lucky enough to have him on, the, the, the filmmaker, the director, to be on our podcast today. Yes. I want to mention real quickly that on YouTube, there's Runet Dome, and it's a half-hour um, film, and they go to a plutonium dump site. Same boat, the Infinity. Same boat. So I want to recommend that, too, because the cinematography... Also stunning. And you can see it on the YouTube machine. Yes, on the YouTube machine. Yeah. Um, so um, these guys go out and in the film, it focuses on, on a number of people in the crew, include a guy, including a guy with the unlikely name of David Bowie. Right, and it's his real name. <laughs> and he talks about it being his real name <laughs> yeah. and everything. Um, Clemens, Gabriel, A. Uh, Ayak, uh, Wander. Ayak? Ayak. Wanderer. Ayak or Ayak? I don't know. Anyway, I know Nico talks yeah. about it, and I just yes, don't remember. From, I know. Okay, so we, Nico was very generous. He spent quite a bit of time hanging out with us, yes. chit-chatting about the adventure and the making of the film. Um, and the and, cameras and how he and how, how he did he it. It's really, it. really a fantastic interview. Um, really, one of the most exciting interviews that that we've done definitely, since we started the definitely. the podcast. We're really thrilled that that he uh, joined us, um, and. Uh, We'd like, we'd like you to enjoy the interview now, and um, it's a long interview, so we're going to use this introduction yeah. and then go right into the, the interview, and yeah. that's going to be the whole podcast yeah. today. And we'd love to hear what you think of the film, if you get to see it, and the YouTube video. It's culture jamming. So the YouTube video is really culture jamming. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it, and you can email us at theagency.podcast at gmail. Thanks so much for listening. Here. Hi. Hi, hi, Nico, Nico Edwards. Nico, Nico Edwards. I'm pretty excited to have you here. And I think our listeners are going to be really intrigued. You're coming from a very different area. Nico is a filmmaker, and I'm going to read something off of the website. A self-taught director, shooter, editor, jack-of-all-trades storyteller who grew up on a houseboat and never sleeps as well on land, but doesn't quite thrive at sea. He seeks to tell compelling character-driven stories of people living creative and alternative lifestyles and broaden people's perceptions about life's possibilities. Oh. <laughs> Candy, you cut out at the end there. I don't know what happened. Oh, okay. Broaden the perspective on life's personalities. Yeah. My internet is unstable. Isn't that special? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's hope for the best. So Nico, I, uh, we both watched the sea gypsies on prime video and I also watched the run it dome what a compelling filmmaker you are and what a fascinating topic. Can you. you tell us a little yeah. <laughs> bit, um, the sea gypsies is a trip between, I want to, if correct me if I'm wrong, aiming towards Patagonia from Australia by way of Antarctica. How did you get involved in that? Um, yeah, it's, um, it's uh, sea gypsies is sort of like a, it was designed as a series kind of thing to start off sort of an ode to um, this one's called Sea uh, uh, Gypsies, the far side of the world. And it started, it kind of starts in New Zealand and then goes to Patagonia with the Pacific crossing, kind of the way that nobody ever goes to Antarctica. Everybody that goes there drops down from like Ushuaia and Chile and they just go down across the Drake passage and then back up as fast as they can. Uh, the way we went, uh, is it's never done for a lot of reasons, but mainly just the sheer distance. Um, yeah. You're looking at three or four months at sea. Um, most boats like ours only move like seven miles an hour. So you're just kind of out there, but you get to see a part of Antarctica that nobody really ever goes to. Um, it was one of the original places 
um, that people landed and overwintered. Um, and when we landed there, there was this cabin there that's the oldest structure in Antarctica. And we kind of found it by accident. We don't, we do very little planning. Um, and it's kind of, you know the best adventure sort of things seem like you know unplanned and just go and see what happens um and it's this really i think it's called like bjorgvin's hut and it's this awesome little thing at the adere peninsula i think it's called this kind of this little tooth or something the spine that pokes out from the end there at the mouth of the ross sea and it's home to like a massive penguin colony and just all this kind of interesting stuff um and the first place people ever overwintered in Antarctica was at this little hut. And it's just sitting there um, for anybody who kind of comes along, but nobody comes along. <laughs> yeah, so. I've got news for you. You said <laughs> a part of Antarctica that no one goes to. I got news. No one's going to go to Antarctica in their lifetime. Almost no one. <laughs> Some people yeah. go. Some people do go. I, I Yeah, I, I, I watched a few documentaries on it. But in general, I mean, that's a trek. Um, and on the way, can you tell me about some of your strategy? I want to tell our listeners who haven't watched this, and I hope they do, is that some of these expeditions, you must have to strategize, not just as a filmmaker, but as an activist to coordinate your efforts. Because the three pieces I watched all have activism involved in it, environmentalism or anti-corporate um, efforts, which yeah. you know, I love. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, so kind of... I sort of think about like, where can you go in the world that hasn't, people haven't been yet. So mm. I think, I mean, I mainly got in this kind of less from a filmmaking perspective and more in like, I just wanted my own, I just wanted to go on really cool adventures that people didn't go to and, or didn't, you know, on paths less traveled, preferably where there's places where there's no paths and maybe see something and go to, you know, just, totally something new, which is very rare in this very homogenized world. And so, you know, if you're going to go to a place where there's no paths or there's less paths, the ocean is kind of the final frontier on this planet. Um, and so I kind of just look for parts of the world uh, that we can kind of go to. And, and then I, you know, I initially found this boat with this crazy captain and he's, he, he likes doing the same thing, but he also is very into environmental activism. And, um, and so he's seeking out, kind of ways he can have an impact um, with his boat. And, um, and so we kind of melded the things together. And it started out as the one film. And then we did another expedition more recently that was uh, much more of like, a, I'd say a Canadian expedition oh. that it started from Fiji, but it's like a really long way up and around. Uh, and it was the Northwest Passage kind of oh. from Alaska to Greenland. Um, but the unconventional way, everybody goes east to west. And we were like, well, why not go west to east? Plus, we're over there. And the idea of going all the way around the world to start at the right place didn't really, doesn't really work out. So we're just. I have chills down my one. spine. I have chills down my spine. I cannot tell you how fascinated I am by the fact that you guys went through the Northwest Passage. And I wasn't sure if you were on that or not because I haven't watched it yet. It's on the Discovery Network. We, I am going here, to buy it. Here in, uh, in Canada, we grew up with the Stan Rogers song. Oh, yeah. Oh, Stan Rogers. Yeah, great. His, his widow, <laughs> I think I chatted with his widow, was able to license that track. And oh. I, it's just such an amazing kind of expedition. Um, I would urge people if they haven't seen the discovery thing maybe don't uh, or, or you know maybe <laughs> oh, wait no. i'm working on a version of my my own um 
I kind of, the discovery one seems like it, it was designed for a certain kind of audience in mind. And I don't think it's true to the sea gypsy kind of thing. And so little um, of the footage was actually utilized because it was sort of um, edited and, and made to uh -huh. go to fit a production, uh, uh, an airing schedule. Um, yeah. I'm kind of unfortunately. Um, and so I'm kind of working on, and it doesn't do the area justice because there's just, I mean, it's, eight, 10,000 miles. I'm trying to think of how long it was, 10,000 miles, 6,000 islands up there. I mean, it is a wild world. Like you see stuff that people never, you know, see and you go on beaches, you, you feel like you might be the first person who's ever set foot on this beach in a sense, kind of, but there's probably, you know, in it, people have at, at the Baskin, all these different yeah. people who live up there have set foot on these beaches, but they have a very different kind of take on, um, how to live with the land and do the whole thing up there but we we just we had incredible time up there and um saw things and and we went on the year a year that was the iciest kind of they all said like the ice the locals told us the iciest in living memory and we were the only boat that made it from west to east because it just was ice ice ice, ice. and boats were turning back i think there was about 40 boats maybe that tried to start out and everybody turned back uh, but we we kind of get ourselves into situations where we can't turn back um, <laughs> because it's yeah. just like we're running on a thread of anything. And if you turn back, we don't have the resources to do that. It's just, okay, it's just I have to it. ask the question then. In a situation like when you're down in Antarctica and you go out on deck and the spray is freezing before it hits the deck and the swells can just about roll your head off your shoulders. Did you ever think I've done it now? <laughs> like like oh, like we've gone too far or this just ain't safe um yeah you, you just care not care about that you you stop caring i think because it's like the frog in the water it's like a slow boil like four months to get to it just wears you down to a point where every day is just bleaker and bleaker and then you kind of like you're just in that moment and if anything happens it's, it's just amazing and i think people who sign up for that trip initially figure there's like a certain percentage chance they're not going to come back anyway. I mean, the boat's like made of old ferro cement. There's no, we don't have insurance. We don't have any really any safe safety systems. <laughs> like there's nothing. Um, so you're kind of signing up for like a real, you know, a real adventure and real adventures aren't like, I don't know. I don't think they're not like a vacation. They're like, I, I'm probably, I, I think if we had done the trip, three times we definitely would have not come back one of the times and probably maybe two of the times but um but i think that's kind of the best way to do it in a sense and because you just wow. you really feel alive when you're there and you're like yeah we've stuck that storm kind of came out of nowhere and it just kept adding our anchor locker started flooding and we didn't know why and the anchor locker is like the part of the boat in the front and it's got a divider made of like thin plywood and it was leaking water back into the rest of the boat. And um, yeah, and it weighs the whole boat down. So it's like, we're digging deeper into the waves every time and there's no way to pump it out. We'd have to like somehow get on deck in the storm and put a pump there. And we only have these little tiny electric pumps that take you 20 hours and the water's coming in more. So you just kind of let it and then you hope for the best. And um, wow. yeah, but everybody was so kind of stoic. I don't know. I only heard like later on about all these like things that were happening at the time that were like, wow, that was horrible. If that had gone further and people were just like taking it pretty well. So I don't know. It was a good, there was a really good cohesion among the crew too. And 
Um, uh, do you think there's an element of of a, a need for that taste for that adrenaline rush facing the abyss that keeps keeps you going back into these kind of um, uh, crazy adventures? Yeah, I mean, I think you. Yeah, I guess maybe a bit of a rush in that, like, sort of you see in a lot of like adventure action adventures, kind of sport things where people get kind of like uh, it makes you you feel really alive. And like, I guess like some people talk about it, the awe of nature where you're just completely like, you know, out in a thunderstorm and you just feel really connected to the world and you feel small and feeling small is, it feels amazing and you feel insignificant. And it's those, it's hard to replicate that on the open ocean, like at, you know, 70 degrees South. And you know that in any false thing and you're just done and you just, you just, at the next moment, anything could happen. There's yeah. no plan at all. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I have a couple of responses to that because one, I want to say I thought of two things when I watched that sailboat called Infinity. One is my car on road trips and two, the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> the Millennium Falcon is always breaking down, right? So the other thing I want to say is that while you are being these independent alternative um, efforts and adventures, in the meantime, what's the difference? There's corporate corporate world is out there going to these same places pillaging and raping and taking mining rare earth minerals or uh killing whales so isn't it just as fair that you're going to those places i think it is and i'd rather i'd rather you guys go thank you i i try to defend it in a sense that i mean ideally nobody should go to antarctica yes i mean it is an it's a nature preserve anybody but they send cruise ships there and I mean, t- thousands of people disembarking and, and they, you know, these cruise ships and go through their fishing vessels. They, they turn up all their trash. It's like, we went, we sailed with the power of the wind there. We didn't leave anything there. We, um, we have a very small imprint, uh, you know, footprint. I feel like because it's a sailing vessel yeah. and it wasn't, you know, it was made in the seventies. It's just made out of old cement and, but no matter what you do, you're going to have an imprint, but just living, you know, at home, you're going to have an, Im- you know, an impact. That's not. Absolutely. Um, and I live in good. Chicago where there's gunshots several times a week where I must be insane that I live here. I have to be. Yeah, there's danger there's, everywhere. There's danger so. everywhere. So, um, how, you know, although that is a specific risk you're taking without the so-called support system of society, but you have each other and, um, you did sign up for it. So it's pretty impressive. And you're not going to war other than uh, maybe uh, civil disobedience. And I really respect that. I feel like you guys are my people. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. On the way if out, we, I yeah, was we, young, I'd be there with you. We try, we try to do, yeah, we try to do like things that are uh, maybe opening like a view to a part of a world that people don't really get to see, like uh, the Runet Dome, um, you know, a nuclear waste dump in the middle of the South Pacific that nobody knows about because like just getting to the middle of the South Pacific is is hard enough, let alone who wants to go to an island that's, you know, radioactive and they drop nerve right. agents all over it. And, but it's there and it's yeah. full of debris. And um, I think Clemens is willing to take outside risks and um, he's still doing it. He just came back from Antarctica again, and somehow he survived and uh, this insane storm on the way back where he lost steering. And I could just watch the the, the boat on the satellite um, tracker and he went in circles for a week in the Drake <gasps> Passage. 
because he didn't have a rudder. Oh my god! <laughs> and it kept oh, wow. going same, under the same boat. boat is still still afloat. Somehow, I don't know. It had a lot of holes in it, and oh. he was patching it up in the Zambezi River in Africa. With, I mean, it just saw these crazy photos of like him patching above the waterline, at least like thirty holes. And I'm thinking the whole time, like, what about below the waterline? <laughs> They're just not doing anything about that. And then, wow. yeah, somehow he went back to Antarctica at. The season typically ends in late February, and by then all the icebreakers are gone. And he went at the end of April, I think mm. in May, and oh he was God. so at the end. And somehow he just went between two weather patterns systems and made it. And um, he's definitely like a madman. Um, and it's it's interesting. It's not always pleasant to be around and uh, mm -hmm. to be there with him. But it, I love knowing that it's still going on. And yeah, you do have a sense of his persona and who he is. And, you know, watching, I, I, I had all kinds of emotions. However, he seems like he's, at the end of the day, he's quite a responsible leader. And he practices leadership skills that I thought were very beneficial, especially to young people looking for direction in life. And I thought that was pretty impressive in, in your film. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think of him like a, the real life Captain Fantastic kind of. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> or Ahab. He, or Ahab. <laughs> yeah, or Ahab. He has morality. He has ethics. They're just his yes. own. Um, yes. And it's far be for me to judge like, you know, it's everybody to, to each their own. And, and he's he is a very responsible person in some ways. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that a lot of people you know, this may speak to you, it speaks to me, is that a lot of my friends think I'm a, an extremist. Uh, you were speaking about no one should go to Antarctica. I don't believe anyone should live in wilderness. I think everybody should live in cities so that wilderness can go, even farms. You know, I'm to the point where I think grow the food in the cities because it's already fucked up and leave wilderness to the animals. Um, so True. I understand that. then what's that the point in of, living? At, at what point or another, it's like, do you want to live like that? I mean, you might, we all, it'd be better if, you know, there weren't as many people in the world as well, but it's like, we're just going to be here and we're going to do what we're going to do. So yeah. Yeah. That's true. Do it in that is the true. most responsible way possible. Yes. Guess, you know. Yeah. So I, I did understand some of his, his passion, you know, and I, I have a little bit of that in me too. I have a question. It's uh, well, first of all, um, the other film that people can watch is on YouTube and I'm so glad you uploaded that. It's, it's incredible about this plutonium, a waste that's left over from like dozens of bombs being blown up in the 40s, I assume. Yeah, it's a, well, it started in the 50s. It was actually okay. the whole area, like the, we've entered into this, like an epoch of geologic time. It's called the Anthrop Anthropocene, Anthropocene. Mm -hmm. Not sure exactly how to, mm -hmm. um, the, but it's the era that we're in and there's more and more articles about it. And this was actually the birthplace of that. It began with the first hydrogen bomb test. So it's like, in order of magnitude above the first uh, nuclear weapon test. Um, right. the, and it began, it was there and it was called Ivy Mike. And people know about Bikini Atoll, you know, SpongeBob mm -hmm. and they kind of like, talk, mm -hmm. you know, it's the whole like, that's where the testing, but Inawatak Atoll, which is a couple hundred miles away was way more, there was way more testing there. And, and the, the magnitude, the amount is the equivalent of like one and a half Hiroshima bombs every single day for 14 years. <sighs> That's it's, the amount that this one little place absorbs. Yeah. My husband, we watched it this morning. He had no idea. I, I was familiar with the area and the bombing, but he had no idea. 
he was pretty in shock before he went to work this morning. I, I think we bummed him out sufficiently. So, so a practical question here: um, where where is all this waste? Does it stay in that area? Does it dissipate around the world? How does that work? What happens to it? Um, it it sorts to creep around. Um, I think what you know they tested there for something like forty years, just dropping everything, and then eventually when the you know the the islanders wanted to return and they wanted to just you know the u.s military wanted to get out of there and so they kind of organized some sort of hasty not hasty but some sort of cleanup that could be somehow economical because the idea of actually cleaning up is is it's impossible um so what they did is they kind of they went in four thousand very unfortunate u.s soldiers were recruited and they scraped off the first roughly like two feet of all the islands and then piled it into a bomb crater, one of the nuclear craters, and then covered it with a a foot of concrete, like right at ocean level. And it's just been kind of sitting there. And since then it's, the bottom was never lined. It was just a coral bottom. So it's all seeped out into the lagoon and it's slowly moving away. Um, And right now it's contained to that area, but at the rate that it's moving, you know, in a couple thousand years, it'll maybe just wash up in, in, the, in the U.S. West Coast or Japan. I mean, it's just slowly moving around the world and it never breaks down. I think it's something wow. like a couple million years before, you know, it's it's plutonium pieces. It's it's all kinds of stuff. They oh. they detonated bombs there that were really dirty in terms of not exploding correctly. So they splattered plutonium bits everywhere. And all the islanders are just riddled with cancer. And I assume all those soldiers, too. Yeah, it was horrific what happened to the soldiers. They were given absolutely no protective clothing or any sort of like training or told anything about what was going to happen to them. And most of them died absolutely horrific deaths afterwards. So Um, terrible. They didn't even get veterans benefits because technically they weren't considered in like a war zone or. um, Yeah, it's pretty there's a there's some interesting videos on just what happened to them and how. Yeah, it is just it's really sad stuff. I, I thought this film was very, very good, and I hope people will watch it. I shared it on our Facebook page, but, uh, you know, I thought about the poetry between the cement dome and then the cement sailboat. And then I thought about how your camera work in both the pieces I watched is just stunning. And and that your crew is amazing and your direction is amazing. I have two questions. One, how did you do that, the money shot at the end of the run at dome? And how, what was your film equipment doing when you were in the freezing rain on, uh, at the Antarctica? Um, thank you. Yeah, I, I've, I shoot uh, sort of with pros, prosumer equipment, I guess you would call it. Um, it's just a step up from consumer kind of stuff. It's, I've, I shot the entire first film on like a, a Canon 5D Mark III, which I think they're about $1,500. It's not expensive, but you can find a way to hack it. Um, <laughs> uh, Canon installs the same really nice high-end chips in their really basic cameras as they do in their really, really nice ones, but they neuter them with software. So if you can find a way around it, um, you're essentially, the, the camera will spit out 24 frames, 24 beautiful pictures per second into a folder. And if you're willing to spend months and months and months using programs to stitch the pictures together you can get something I, I i still think it's better than anything i've used since from this little fully sealed dslr um that can withstand direct wave hits i mean incredible equipment hardened meant for like national geographic photographers 
Um, and it gets, but it gets really hot, but thankfully in Antarctica, it's freezing cold. So I put the, I put the batteries in my underwear during the day to keep them <laughs> from like freezing. And, um, and thankfully it never died on me cause I never, I didn't have a backup and, oh. um, and it, and it, and it worked out and the image quality just ended up being just absolutely amazing. Um, it, it really is lose anything, thankfully. And, and I think the, the quality and it becomes easy to shoot something like this. And I shouldn't say easy, but. Um, my kind of method, I would say, is that just live with your subjects. I think um, everybody is is comfortable on camera if you hang out with them enough on camera. So shooting every single day for a year, every yeah. I mean, this, that whole expedition was about a year. And just every day you're just shooting and people just kind of forget the cameras there and they become themselves, which is, I think you don't see very often in documentaries and, and things like that is because people are, most people are just not naturally they're still self-conscious. They're not comfortable in front of a camera. But if you shoot every single day with them, they forget that it's there and then they yeah. become comfortable again. And that's how you can get a really like authentic look at people's true personalities. And <laughs> I, I don't, I know this isn't possible for most people, but if, you know, living on the boat, I'm essentially living for free. There's no rent and everybody's there with you and everybody's working and everybody has purpose. So it's just a very smooth functioning kind of environment that you can capture some beautiful stuff. I don't know how to recreate that for any kind of other story, but sailboat things. Uh, how skilled were the crew? Uh, you could see in the film that some people, like there's a guy who was really good at sewing up sails. Different people seem to have come to the, the game with different skills. Was everybody a sailor? Like, was there um, basic training involved? Infinity is essentially people describe it as sort of a, I've, it's like a floating youth hostel uh, that <laughs> attracts kind of similar kind of weird quirky people. Um, and it does or used to attract a fair amount of like uh, professional sailors who do yacht deliveries and crew for wealthy people's sailboats. And when they're not working, they'll, I mean, they do those jobs to, to make ends meet. And then in their off time, they'll go live on infinity for a while, however long they can afford to, to do it. And so we're lucky enough to have um, like I Andy and Iac uh, went on both expeditions with me and they're professional sailors. They captain you know, mega million dollar yachts in their off time. And so that really is beneficial. But other than Iac and Andy, uh, out of a crew of 20, maybe yeah so three people know what they're doing and then 17 are just sort of volunteers and are willing to be very uncomfortable and get hurt um and learn and then uh and so that's kind of yeah that's how that sort of works out there okay so you had a fairly sophisticated situation at the end of the plutonium dome was that a drone that was just able to go really really high um yeah just a regular <laughs> dgi mavic i think they six seven hundred bucks or something yeah, and it's beautiful and out there i mean it benefits because like everything looks amazing and there's less rules so i don't think it, the software doesn't try to just put a ceiling on you out there oh. because there's nothing out there so we can we were shooting by little airports and it's like there's no laws and no rules and and the, the thing just isn't geo trying to neuter you in the sense so you go as high as you're willing, it'll go as high as until it runs out of battery. You just keep going, going, going. And I think it sort of put some kind of ceiling. It was older software. I imagine now with software updates, it's always trying to like restrict and restrict and restrict. Um, so I don't know if there's probably a good way to hack that though. So you can get around those um, and then get the really amazing shots. We ended up, we started with like three of them and 
lost a couple along the way because trying to launch them from a moving sailboat and then if they get disconnected they try to yeah. go back to home but home was like you know by the time it's like six miles behind you it's trying to land in the ocean in the middle of nowhere and so you lose some that way um it's it's not easy filming on a boat everything is is salty and damp and everything's dying and it's it's really it's really hard i think that's the reason why people don't do more of it and just living out there for years it's something yeah. that people are quite willing yeah. to do wow in in all the oceans that you ocean you traveled around i i know we have a really really bad plastic problem on our planet did you see a lot of evidence of that see floating chunks of plastic around it's probably one of the more uh, depressing things you ever you come across out there and you realize how um yeah how small the world is and just how kind of polluted it is like the more remote oddly enough islands you go to the more covered they are in plastic and we did like we would do plastic cleanups where we'd spend an entire day on like the smallest island we could find and you're just scraping the surface and you'll kind of clean up what looks like the whole island and you fill like dinghy like three or four dinghy loads like fill the whole our little boat three or four times up and then if you go back with a shovel it's that layer just goes down 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 and and what we're finding there is just the the durable things that float like flip-flops and heavy pieces of plastic fishing buoys if some statistic I read, it's like 80% of all the plastic that goes in the ocean just sinks to the bottom. Oh. So when you see things like the plastic cleanup, you know, that's, it's all like PR and it's like greenwashing where you're just giant boats are burning fossil fuels to go out there to collect the, the skim on the top. You know, what's the point? So right. we kind of, I don't know, we kind of stopped doing the beach cleanup stuff because it's like, what's you're you're burning you can't get out there to do it you'd never get ahead of it it's it's like but there every surface of every beach and in all over the entire world no matter how remote uh is just covered in plastic the only places we didn't see it were antarctica oddly enough and i don't know why i i think something with currents it's like where the ocean gyres go and we did pass through like the, one of the big plastic um dump kind of the, the plastic ocean in the middle of the pacific where it's just plastic as far as you can see and I think an ocean gyre just sort of collects it there. And it's it's just, yeah, it's it's fields of plastic in the middle of wow. nowhere. And it's pretty, pretty upsetting. And if you can't help but be an environmentalist, I think if you just witness that kind of stuff and I mean, be, at least try to be environmentally, if, if not just sort of depressed, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it on when I was on, on in Vietnam on the Mekong River, the banks for miles are just covered in just crap yeah just junk i think it's there's i think 80 percent of the world's plastic comes from like three different it's like three countries it's vietnam china and the philippines um they just don't it's one thing to judge but they also just don't have the infrastructure for um you know cleaning up clean up and they don't have giant places in the middle of nowhere like we have where you can just dump all this stuff or yeah. the the money to do it so the easiest route is kind of dumping it in the river and yeah. There's just too many, too much I, I was cheap plastic consumables. You know, too, I went to Halong Bay, which is just, I mean, so drop dead gorgeous, but you'd see little floaty plastic things all the time. Yeah. Yeah. We found some interesting things too. Like one island we found, uh, you know, you see your flip flops, it's like a cutout, like a cookie cutter thing. And then on one island, we found all these mats of the negative space for all the flip flops. So it was like, oh, wow. They were all these little flip flop cutouts and we're like wow this is the missing piece i've seen the flip-flops forever but i've never seen that other <laughs> chunk and here they all were on one island 
and I don't I don't know how that ended up there, oh. but and you see creatures like attaching themselves to it, so yeah. It, 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 in the end, it's it's us that's going to die before the creatures. They'll adapt to it somehow. Um, some of them, not the big beautiful ones, don't do it. Don't adapt. <laughs> but, yeah, um, but it, we try to do environmental stuff, and and Clem is very 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 gung ho about that, and almost like to a scary point sometimes because he did a lot of uh, work with Greenpeace. And there was like, um, he's really into trying to stop uh, seismic uh, drilling and or seismic studies off New Zealand where they were looking for oil down there. And I think he, he kept trying to ram his boat into the some of their uh, seismic stuff. And um, wow. yeah, like with, with his children on board. Because <laughs> so he gets kind of bad, uh, some of it, but yeah. Yeah. Applaud him for trying. Yes, me too. Um, you said that you, on your, on, on this the page for the ship uh, the sail, the sailboat uh, infinity you said you grew up on a houseboat uh, yeah I grew up on a I guess it was called kind of the last free ride um, uh, houseboats in the in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, wow. people just assembled pieces of junk in the 60s and my parents did that and just live on little a frames on top of styrofoam and wow. it was like a, yeah it's essentially a free way of living um, but it's it's no longer that way but at, at that time it was up until the you know like the 90s and stuff yeah well fascinating um how long were you seasick <laughs> oh yeah i get horrendously seasick uh unfortunately <laughs> but it's worth it i think i you know it is worth it um i'm usually when we head out on a big thing i'm kind of seasick for the first week and then the body i it it just gets used to it if it doesn't it, you can die some people have died of seasickness because you can't oh, hold wow. down food dehydration uh, or something yeah, you can't hold down food and water and you'll die. But I always get over it after about a week. Um, it's a brutal week. You just, the only thing you can eat are gummies, I've found. Or oh, I can wow. eat like gummy candy yeah. for about a week. Uh, but, and then, you know, something big happens though. You just got to get up there and do it and look at it, you know. And then you're looking at the, through your camera at a different plane, like a delayed plane. So it makes you even more seasick kind of looking oh. through a view, viewfinder because it's not the actual, you know. So that makes it really bad. Insane. Wow, that's that is so crazy. So crazy. Well, so you're yeah, West Coast. I highly recommend people to get out there and find boats and go on, you know, it, it is still wild out there and, and yeah. there's amazing adventures and places. And you know, I'm I'm getting a little tired myself at this, you know, I've been working editing this last project for five years now, and I've wow. still got another three, so I won't be on the ocean for a while, but um a, I don't know. I always try to encourage people. There's a, a website of people are really gung ho called Find a Crew, and it's boats seeking crew and crew seeking boats. And they, I asked them at one point if they if they wanted me to like give them a pitch, and they're like, Oh God, no! Don't do that. <laughs> not looking for inexperienced people like going out there and going to kill themselves. And you got to right. be understand what you're getting into because it's a it's a it's a dangerous world on these boats. And um, yeah. And it, it's 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 a wild world, but it is an amazing world. And yeah. you'll have and and it's and it's not you know like we do these things are just like it's a way for non elite people to have really amazing adventures because they, they cost us very little to nothing. I mean Clemens, he keeps that boat going for no money. It's just he scra scrapes and scraps along and does most all of it himself. And he just was he was I don't know jubilantly telling me a little while back how he's able to get another engine because he found this engine in the same engine he had now but in Germany that was being used as a backup generator for a hospital and it had only ever been started once 
<laughs> a, a week as a test for like and it was 60 years or something so this this engine's like a 60 year old engine with only like oh. 2,000 miles on it essentially it's <laughs> so, it's like the hospitals the little old lady that only drove her engine to church on Sundays or something yeah yeah that's that awesome and got that in there and he begs borrows and steals and somehow keeps it going and uh you know he, but he little weird things we, we don't bring or he always forgets like in the antarctica one it was fuel injectors and somehow we got <laughs> our fuel he bought fuel i found fuel at a discount from some guy on the, the boat the dock so we never knew if it was like dirty fuel but immediately we started losing injectors and so the engine was like a 12 cylinder i guess so we 12 injectors we started with and they just kept and he was trying to dip them in coca-cola and like anything to get them to work again and by the time we got into patagonia we were down to the last injector and wow. he's clever enough to know how to bypass all the other ones but you're not getting a lot of horsepower after one injector and it's pissing fuel that you're having to try to recirculate and it had all this stuff in it so he's trying to separate it with gravity and time and it's it's horrendous and in the end i think we were just we just pulled in barely and then we had to throw on the outboard engine from the dinghy on the back of a you know, 160 ton cement boat and it's going full blast and you're just kind of inching along and he's able to pull off the uh, the impossible and wow uh, well i grew company. up that's amazing i grew up by vancouver island and i wondered how you landed up in portland oh um I always wanted to live in the Pacific Northwest. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it's the beautiful. Best. It's green. It's amazing. And I'm trying to sort of outpace global warming. At least I thought if yeah. I just keep going up north. Um, problem is, like we noted when we were in the um, the Arctic, is that it's it's kind of worse up there. Um, oh. It's felt a lot worse than it is lower down in terms of like the it, it's a more sensitive area. So any amount of temperature change is just dramatically like I mean the you know that the the Siberian tundra is all burning and the erosion and and so it's kind of you can't actually uh, get away from it yeah. <laughs> as i thought but yeah. portland is pretty nice and there's um it, yeah vancouver seems amazing i'd love to go up there one day vancouver is very pretty vancouver island's amazing quad i went to elementary school in quadra island so i i know a little bit about wilderness oh yeah, yeah. Salt, salt spring seems really cool i have their own it's, I heard it's their very own beautiful it's it's maybe a little more you know it's it's got a big population they have one it's red got light. baldy yes yes they have it's a got big, baldy it's yeah, got to yeah. be good i think he does uh, like thanksgiving dinner for the island yeah people wow. probably doesn't know who baldy is no oh, okay he's a canadian kind of folk rocker who's been oh. around for a thousand years and everybody kind of grew up with some baldy songs oh you know, He's like Raffi. Raffi's up there too, I think. Yes, Raffi's up there too. <laughs> <laughs> now I know Raffi very well. <laughs> Everybody knows Raffi. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. Um, so what, what about the music? I love the music on some of these, uh, on some of your um, takes too. Where, where are you sourcing that? Obviously, Stan Rogers' widow gave you permission, but uh, you've got some other great, where did that song come from that the kids sing at the end of Runa Dome? Oh, um, well, on the whole, I, I because I'm not a trained filmmaker, I don't know what you can and can't do. So I, I call it the sort of <laughs> like handy. the, the uh, confidence of ignorance. So yes. I originally start, I started out just editing um, the movie to songs that I like yeah. and um, not knowing that like economically, vi how uneconomically viable that is. And then I would just reach out to them and i would show them i would edit this the scene with their music and i would export out that chunk and i would send it to the, the band 
and say, hey, I'm, this is my project and I love your music. Is it, you know, could you listen to it to me? And I don't have any money or have very, very, very little money. And you know, I love that. It's beautiful. a lot of rejections, a lot of yeah. rejection, rejection therapy. But <laughs> amazingly enough, a lot of them would be like, your project scheme's cool. Okay. And some incredible bands uh, license me their music for just the cost of their lawyers drawing up the, the paperwork. And nice. uh, it was it really helped out and really made it amazing. And I think that adds a lot to the thing in the long term. Because if, if, if I think about films that have really stood the test of time and become like cult classics, mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is their soundtrack. If we think of like Donnie Darko yep. and these films that are like Garden State. I don't know, the ones that people are kind of forever. It's just they captured an era and a time and a place with the music. Well, um, you moved, sure. you, you opened up the topic that I have on my list of questions. Um, what films inspired you? What filmmakers inspire you? Or who are your mentors? Um, okay, I'll just, just say the last bit, though, that is some of the oh. music I've come across, like one of the themes in my, uh, the first film was the um, David Bowie, one of the characters in there, actual name, uh, his girlfriend who lives um, in, on, in, um, uh, the sun, on the Sunshine Coast in Vancouver, ah. wrote wrote that song, and she's just she's like a landscape architect, and she wrote that song in her bathroom, and so we got that song, and oh. then the, uh, the on the Runa Dome that was actually written by the kids there, and that's their song, and if uh. if you look at the lyrics, it's like incredibly disturbing, but it's oh yeah, it's a beautiful song. Yeah. Um, I, uh, in terms of like yeah, inspiration, it's always kind of been um, Werner Herzog. I think for anybody who's trying <laughs> yes. to yes, sure, Gorilla. Yes, Rilla makes something amazing, and you know I think he always just said, "Steal your first camera, steal whatever, do whatever it takes, big borrow, steal, um, whatever it takes." And I think that's kind of been my chief inspiration in terms of like, I mean, so many of the places we go, I don't, even, you know, getting location releases. I don't even know if you can like, so I just yeah. disguise where it is or something, or you know, I don't. You kind of have to just cut a lot of corners to make uh, films nowadays because the the rules and the way it's all kind of geared up but you can you can do the amazing if you don't know that you can't do the amazing yes you just yeah head out and try to do it wonderful wonderful uh well you you said you also had a cubicle job that you escaped from oh yeah i um yeah out of college i, I worked um at a, a battery company which is as boring as it sounds <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, environmentally minded. I wanted to work at an electric vehicle battery company and, and uh, great people there. So I'm not talking any kind of shit about it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, batteries are, it's chemistry. It's very slow. And, it, you know, it takes a really long time and it, it's batteries. It's, it's really, so it's kind of, um, you have a lot of time to think about what you're doing with your life when you're in a cubicle at a battery company. Um, like a cardboard box company or something. I, I think <laughs> like, so. It was very inspiring to make me want to make a drastic change in my life. I think, um, yeah. Doing that kind of thing, and it, I was able to save up enough money to get my to get the equipment to start. And um, I'm, so I'm very I'm thankful for it. Uh, think that, but it wasn't quite the right fit. Well, I am fascinated by anomalies and by people who are alternative or don't fit the general dominant culture. And I have to say, you've covered all the bases and so has your work. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Like, and I, I couldn't have done it without like the people, you know, the people on the boat. I, a lot of it was luck finding like an incredible boat and finding a, incredible people yeah. who are attracted to. And if you find something amazing and weird in the world, I kind of think that other people 
like that will be attracted to the same thing. And I think of that boat as kind of like a big red magnet that attracts like the weirdos in the world, <laughs> people who are willing to take outside outsized risk and um, for just crazy, maybe unnecessary adventure. And one of the always things, you know, we we tried to pitch these things, this show and the rest of it to, and nobody would ever buy it because it was always like, why? You know, like, why did you do that? And you're like, why not? Like, why, why wouldn't you want to do this? Um, but there, people always seem to, you know, corporations always seem to feel like there has to be a reason for something um, besides mm -hmm. just the thrill of it. Um, and uh, the people, yeah, I still keep in contact with everybody, all the crew, for the most part. Um, they live in all desperate parts of the world and all over. And I wish they live closer, but um, they're all doing crazy, interesting things still uh, for the most, you know, for the most part. And um, and they're just really awesome people. And for the last, like the last expedition, you know, I was able to just call them up and get a lot of them to come back because they, you know, I just begged and uh, yeah. <laughs> and they put off all their life things, you know, having children and marrying and yes. all, all the responsibilities and just came back to have just a reckless kind of adventure to the end of the world. And um, yeah, we're very fortunate to have like a, such a, a good group of people. And I think you really bond in situations like that. It's kind of like war or space travel. You say the Millennium Falcon, like you're out there and you're surrounded by the same people day in and day out for a year of your life. And I mean, I, people even have relationships like that where you're True. Every, yeah. the same people for a year and you can't get away from them. There's no escape. If you get in some <laughs> kind of argument, you can't get in your car, or walk down the street, like you're just there. So you work it out. Right. Um, and you all smell horrible and you're, you know, just, and you go through in, it, insane experiences of stress and like high experiences of like elation. So the, the valleys are way deeper, but the peaks are way higher than normal life. So it's kind of like an incredible kind of bonding experience. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say that that's like, yeah, you're in a, you're in a foxhole together with some kind of crazy people. Um, fantastic. Really fantastic. Um, well, you, you've been a wonderful guest for us and i've really enjoyed hearing your perspective thank you thank you for having and, me here um, it's been a great chat yeah and if anybody wants to go to this website i'll share it on facebook and donate some money they're always fundraising and um which brings me to the part how are you surviving editing for five years um I, it couches mainly couches. i, live on, okay. I've, I have All lived right. on people's couches i <laughs> You know, people, I, I don't know, I've, I've known some, I know, met a couple of filmmakers and, and I see how I'm, I'm always impressed to people who are able to make it work. It's like, it's a really hard thing to do. There's, yes, you make no money. Uh, even mm -hmm. like that, I'd say that like, we were lucky enough to, during COVID discovery, like had an opening in their advertising schedule and the thing they were wanting to put in there fell apart, I guess. Um, and so we were able to just like, they had turned us down a million times and then they're like, okay, well, we need something. Um, but even <laughs> that, it pays like absolutely nothing. It, it yeah. didn't even cover the camera equipment. You know, yeah. like you don't, you make nothing. So uh, how uh, I've been able to do as a filmmaker is just don't ever pay rent. <laughs> uh, you live on, you live on couches. That's strategy. It is a, a good friends, strategy. Don't overstay your welcome. You just a little bit of time in each place. <laughs> have a mobile setup. I edit on a laptop, um, and, and you just stash your laptops all over the place, or your your, your hard drives all over the place, and kind of try to keep nimble, and beg, borrow, steal. Um, yeah. Well, Eugene's let me sleep on his couch a number of times over the years. We're uh, this, both this artists. We're both artists. So yeah, we, that's we, right. That's that includes and we like make tomorrow, no money right? at it. We make no money at it. We couldn't give away a painting if we tried. Yeah, 
and, yeah. and, and, and a good piece, I would say really, it, my best advice is, is find a subject where you can live with them for free. So if, you, like, <laughs> if they have a house or a boat or something and you're like, well, I'm going to cover you. So like yeah. I'm gonna eat, eat your meals and sleep on your couch. Yeah. For the entire time this takes to do that. <laughs> and, um, and I was l- lucky along the way I got, I got one grant, but most grants are really impossible to get. So yes. oh. I, I won't waste time even trying to get them nowadays. Uh, you're, I think you're on a better plan to not. We, we, I gave up the grant system quite a long time ago. Yeah. I think it's just, rigged. Just too, enough so. time out of art school <laughs> to figure out. Yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> no, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't quite work. Yeah. But I, there's always a way to kind of make it, I yeah. think. Um, and then it just trying to make it really high quality is hard too, but there's, uh, you know, I, uh, I really like the, the blog, no film school and through mm-hmm. them, I was really able to find that you can, this software called magic lantern. And like right now you could buy that camera. I have the five D Mark three for like 600 bucks and you can get the hack software for free and you put it on the SD card and you slip it in and you worry you're going to brick the, the, the camera and you might, but I, I never did. And it turns that camera into something that I think looks better than red. And it's yeah. totally uh, sealed. So it, it, unlike a red, it won't die on you in the middle of the ocean. Um, and you can wow. get amazing quality for, yeah, like $1,000. And um, I think there's, there's definitely ways to do it. You just kind of got to hack, hack the system. To yeah, kind of you're fantastic. Thank I you so you. much. And I guess we'll wrap it up. I think we might have to call it hack the system. Thank there you. you. <laughs> Thank you so Thank you. much, Nico. Thank you very much. Thanks Great for having me. Great to meet me you, and we really appreciate uh, uh, your generous spirit hanging out with us. Yeah. Thank, Thank you much. You. Yeah. Pleasure. Okay. Bye.